I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now. Uh, this week's topic, uh, it's not bad, right? I mean, like, it's not like David Parker Ray, Joseph Fritzel, Howard Fish, Radovan Karadzic bad, all right? It's not that bad. But it is about a Norwegian uh, serial killer. And uh, there's a lot of hard words in here. And also, uh, I know that Norway and Sweden are two very different countries, but they're both Scandinavian. And who else is famously Scandinavian? Uh, The Swedish chef. And there's going to be a lot of Swedish chef uh, impressions in this, uh, just because it's going to help me pronounce a lot of these things, but also I'm going to have some fun with it. So you've been warned. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week we are looking at the story of Belle Gunness. Uh, just one subject this week. I know we've gone a long time and done like multiple stories in an episode, but this one uh, is really going to stand on its own. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a doozy. So uh, get ready uh, for this great story here. Uh, a little out of the ordinary in that it was a woman serial killer. Uh, most serial killers, for being honest, they're dudes. But um, dog, hey, can you? We're gonna. This is gonna be another one of those episodes too. Hey, can you stop licking? It sounds gross. All right, they probably can't hear it because you're far enough away, but I can hear it, and it bothers me. Okay, thanks. Let's get into story time. <laughs> That's how you say it. I told you, coming out strong. Um, Brynhild Paulsdotter Sturset uh, was born on November 11th, 1859 in Selbu, Norway. Uh, she was the youngest of eight children born to Paul and Barrett Sturset, who was just this poor farming couple. Um, her family, like, they were really so poor that they couldn't afford firewood, which, I don't know, maybe in Norway that's kind of at a premium because it's like almost always cold up there. I don't know. But, um, they, they couldn't afford firewood. So they, uh, resorted to collecting schnurkverst, uh, which is, <laughs> I'm gonna have too much fun doing this. Uh, schnurkverst, which is, uh, the name that is given to tiny dried up little spruce twigs in Norwegian. So uh, if you want to impress your friends and say that, you know, Norwegian, then you just say the word schnurkverst. And that is uh, tiny dried up spruce twigs. Um, <laughs> Brynhild was apparently so prolific at collecting these twigs that the local townspeople gave her the nickname Schnurkvistpala, which <laughs> why is this? the cadence is just so fun. But yeah, they nicknamed her Schnurkvistpala, which literally translate to Paul's twig daughter. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not the best nickname, but it's fun. It's fun to say. Um, and as if being known as Paul's twig daughter wasn't bad enough, Brynhild was just, like, not attractive at all, all right? They noted that her face kind of looked like a frog. She had this, like, big head, really tiny eyes, and her and, and they were, like, kind of far apart, like, a little bit wider apart than, like, what's normally acceptable. She had a short nose, and then just a really wide mouth, like a frog. And 
Um, she's also, you know, a pretty husky gal, which, you know, look, big is beautiful. All right. Whatever they say, you know, Yas queen, get your curves on whatever. I don't know. I don't know what they say, but like, I'm not body shaming her. She just, she's, she's a hefty girl. She's, she's a sturdy gal. Um, she eventually grew to be five foot eight and weighed close to 200 pounds. So, um, just a, just a, just a rock of a woman. Um, in 1881, Brynhild left Norway and embarked on a journey to the United States, despite becoming very easily seasick. Um, she eventually arrived in Chicago, where along the way she changed her name to Belle. So that is where, like, I know you were probably thinking, like, I thought this story was about Belle Gunnison. and he's talking about some woman named Brynhild. Well, she got to America and she changed her name to Belle. Uh, she then soon met a fellow Norwegian named Mads Sorensen, and the two got married. So if you know anything about you know, like Chicago and the upper Midwest, your Wisconsin's, Minnesota's, Dakota's, all of that. Just a lot of, that's where a lot of the North, the Scandinavian immigrants ended up when they came to America. Um, but over the next few years, uh, Bell and Mads, they worked really hard and eventually were able to buy a candy store in 1884. Unfortunately, the store really never found success and it even ended up burning down a year later, um, or later that year, actually. When they received the uh, settlement check from the insurance company, the couple decided to move out to the suburbs of Chicago and began growing their family. You know, they had uh, children naturally and they started adopting children. Uh, Unfortunately, two of those children, Caroline and Axel, died after just a couple of months and each one had a life insurance policy attached to them. Now, uh, if you have listened to other episodes of this show, uh, we have talked before about a little bit of insurance fraud. Uh, I think uh, I think I've done the story about Mary Beth Tenning. I think she was on the Mother's Day episode uh, earlier this year. And yeah, I mean, she didn't do it for the insurance fraud, but she is a terrible mother. I don't know. I'm off track now. Anyway, insurance fraud was pretty easy to commit back then is my point. Um, after quote unquote accidentally burning down their new house. So yeah, it's hundred percent insurance fraud. You guys, um, bell then finally turned her attention to Mads. And on July 30th, 1890, uh, his original life insurance policy was actually set to expire. So he decided to take out a new policy and there was just this crazy sort of coincidence slash like loophole where both the old and new policies were effective and active on the same day. And guess what? That afternoon, Dr. J.C. Miller was called to uh, the Sorensen house after Bell called to report that Mads had gotten extremely sick. Um, Dr. Miller arrived to find Mads had already died and determined that he had been poisoned with strychnine. Um, Another doctor who had previously treated Mads for an enlarged heart uh, overruled him and listed the cause of death as heart failure. So right now, like Dr. Miller, he's got him pinned. All right. Strychnine was a very poisonous composition. I think if I remember correctly, it's um, an it's an alternate form of rat poison. Like arsenic was kind of the main form of rat poison. But strychnine um, was also used a lot and and readily available back then and and was very poisonous. Um, Authorities, you know, still decided to order an investigation. And Bell claimed that Mads had come home that day complaining of a headache and that she had given him some quinine powder. Uh, when she went back upstairs after making dinner, Mads was dead. So with no other evidence, really, aside from Bell's testimony, both 
of the responding doctors then just revised the cause of death to a brain hemorrhage. Like, aren't you looking? Like, aren't you doing, like, an autopsy or, like, using any part of, like, your actual research skills to figure out whether or not this is the case? Like, they're just like, oh, 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 okay, so you gave him this, and then he died. Interesting, interesting. Um, Well, based on my knowledge um, and the 20-page book on how to be a doctor that I read, that sounds uh, a lot like brain hemorrhage. So I'm just gonna just gonna cross this out here. Heart failure? No. no. What did you say? Poison? Yeah, I said he got poisoned. Ah, we're doctors. Uh, we don't know anything. Brain hemorrhage. Yeah. Oh God. Um. So a few months later, like Belle has gotten away with this. Um, she's gotten a ton of life insurance money. She's killed her husband. Um, and a few months later, she placed an ad in the newspaper looking for a property to purchase so that she can run a farm. Uh, the ad caught the attention of Peter Gunnis, who owned a farm in LaPorte, Indiana. Uh, after brief correspondence, Belle then sold her home in Chicago and moved to Indiana, where she and Peter got married the following year. Kind of weird. This is like this weird arranged Midwest farming marriage. Um, but I mean, honestly, you guys like I, I mean, I've buried the lead at this point. Like, you know what's going to happen. Um, five days after the wedding, Peter's this is crazy. Peter's seven month old daughter died of edema of the lungs i don't know what that means um but it's uh you know it's a thing that happened to a man's seven-month-old daughter um the daughter's body was then shipped to chicago where it was buried alongside uh two other infants uh the two other infants who had died under bell's care the uh, caroline and axel i do believe um but hey guess what things are gonna get weirder on December 16th, 1902, Bell's neighbors were awoken to the sound of loud banging coming from Bell's farmhouse. Um, they ran downstairs and they actually found Bell's foster daughter, Jenny, uh, standing on their porch holding an iron stove poker. So just this, basically just this iron rod. If you never had like a fireplace growing up, just this iron rod with like a sharp pointy into it you just you used it to kind of stoke the fire you know kind of poke the logs or whatever get it get it going back up again um and they like you know they're sitting there like well what what are you doing here and and jenny goes mama wants you to come up papa's burned himself but that's probably not how she sounds we know how she sounded mama wants you to come up papa's burned himself i don't know why the daughter the foster daughter not even a biological kid has a scandinavian accent but she does because it's my story I mean, it's not my story, but I'm telling it. Anyway, you get it. Um, the neighbors then quickly ran over to Belle's house and found Peter face down on the kitchen floor and with just blood everywhere. Uh, they immediately called in a doctor and he tried to get some answers, try to figure out what was going on. Uh, Belle explained to the doctor that Peter had accidentally knocked a meat grinder off of the shelf, which then hit the back of his head and then tumbled into a boiling pot that then somehow like sprayed the boiling water onto the back of his neck crazy just super weird chain of events that happened um and despite having his head completely mangled um gonna you know peter had assured bell that he was totally fine and sent her back up to bed but then bell came you know back downstairs sometime later and and peter was dead um no one no one believed this story at all but all they had was her testimony. There wasn't any sort of like detective work going on in the early 1900s, especially not in Indiana, who is famously just 
decades behind everything. All right. No, like they, they had no way to, they, had, they didn't believe her, but they had no way of proving her wrong. And so Belle cashed this insurance check and just went on her way because there was no evidence to prove that she was lying, even though she was totally lying. Um, following that murder, Peter's brother, Gust, uh, arrived from Minneapolis and took Peter's daughter, Svanhild, uh, back with him. Probably smart. Um, Belle decided not to fight that and instead took over running Peter's farm by herself. Uh, she even started dressing up in Peter's clothes and went to local farm auctions for like machinery and livestock. And this is, this is kind of why I talked a lot about her physical appearance because folklore in LaPorte, Indiana really started to spread about Belle and just her freakishly inhuman strength. Um, some people said that she could toss a 200 pound hog into her wagon as just as if it was just like a suitcase. Um, she also like butchered her own, her own animals. She gutted them, skinned them, cleaned each carcass without any problem whatsoever. Um, but like, while that's impressive for anybody, doesn't matter if you're a woman or not. All right. Let's stop. Like, let's stop guys. Can we stop treating women special because they do things like, it's, I get the intention behind it, but it, it's, it's very pandering. Like, oh, look at her. She was the first woman to do this. Look at her go. God, she's such an inspiration for all those, all those dumb little failures out there. That's what it's, that's what, that's how it reads to me. Like just it, it anyway, I, that's a, that's a soapbox I'm not going to get on right now. Um, <laughs> So even though she was able to just like toss 200 pound pigs around, um, those skills were not enough to endear her to the people in Laporte. Uh, her neighbors, the Deeslands, got fed up with her cattle grazing on their land, and William Deesland eventually trapped her cattle on his property and refused to return them unless Bell gave him a dollar for every time it happened. Uh, Bell then responded by driving the Deeslands' cattle into her own yard and demanding a dollar in return, like. Which is such a petty move. It's like, but also like, I like I get it. Like decently, like you can't you can't just like hold cattle hostage. Like cows are stupid. They're just gonna go roam wherever. Like get get a fence built. Either you build a fence around your property or get Bill to build a fence around hers. Don't just like keep cattle hostage and demand a dollar because that's how petty turf wars start. Um, by 1904 though, Bell was getting lonely and started looking for another husband to kill. Um, I added that part, but it's probably true. Uh, she placed an ad in a Norwegian language newspaper that was kind of circulating around the Midwest and eventually met a man named Olaf Lindbo. Olaf Lindbo. Uh, Olaf totally on board with this Hulk woman. Um, and he moved all of his belongings to Indiana to join Bell on the farm. Um, although the two never married people just around town, just kind of assumed they were together and, and doing things that a married couple would do. Um, Within a few months, though, Olaf was gone. Uh, Bell told everyone that he had moved to St. Louis to visit the World's Fair and buy some land, but no one ever heard from Olaf again. Um, and guess what? That same pattern kind of repeated itself several times over the next few years. There was Henry Gerholt, George Berry, Christian Hilkvin, Emil Tell, John Moe, Clyde Sturgis, uh, Ole Budsberg. They all arrived. And then they all just mysteriously disappeared a few weeks later. What happened, you guys? Who knows? I know what happened. Uh, in July 1907, Bell hired uh, a man named Ray Lamphere to be her primary farmhand. 
Uh, aside from the regular farm work, Bell also used Lamphere to kind of plow her own fields, you know, to kind of tend her own garden, you know, to, to kind of harvest her crops, if you, if you know what I mean. You know, just kind of uh, get in there, kind of kind of fertilize those plants. <laughs> get it? Guys, it's, it's farming innuendos for sex. They were doing it. All right. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, that was nothing new, though, for Mel. Uh, previous farmhands, uh, Emil Greening and Peter Coulson, um, also had to, you know, kind of pick Bell's cotton from time to time, if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, such nasty visuals. Um, Coulson actually went on record and said that Bell would enter his room at night purring like a cat. And, oh, like, imagine that visual. You know, you're just laying in bed in your farmhouse one night. You know, it's a hot, humid summer night in the Midwest. And all of a sudden, your door creaks open. Peter Colson, need you to pick my cotton. Need you to give me a good plowing. <laughs> oh, God, that's gross. That's real gross. Especially like, remember she's basically like this frog-faced lady and just this stocky, just bro, this muscular, frog-faced, hulking woman just towering over you. Just... <laughs> Tend my garden. Why is she Irish now? Tend my garden. Peter, gonna tend my garden. On your wiener. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, while most of this is going on, let's get back to the story. Um, Bell was corresponding with a wheat farmer from South Dakota named Andrew Helgeling. Hel- Andrew Helgeling. That was a weird one to say. Um, the two sent roughly 80 letters back and forth to each other, mostly kind of around Bell's insistence that Andrew move out to Indiana to help her run the farm. Um, but Andrew wasn't the same kind of gullible Norwegian immigrant that Bell had been preying on for the last couple of years. Um, he had actually spent 10 years in a Minnesota prison for robbing the local post office and burning it down. So this guy's different, all right? He knows what's up. Uh, but Andrew did eventually arrive in Laporte in January of 1908. And although she was happy, Bell was happy that two years of manipulation finally paid off, um, as opposed to like the two weeks that it had normally taken. Uh, Lamphere was stricken with jealousy. Um, he thought that him and Bell were kind of an exclusive thing, which, why? Which, I mean, like, Grant, like, I get it. You got to get in there, you know cut the grass every now and then, but, uh, you know, trim those hedges <laughs> anyway. Uh, but like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what Bill Lamphere looked like. Maybe he was just as gross looking, but, um, he was jealous and Andrew's arrival changed all of like his preconceived notions about who Bell was to him. And it even got so bad that Bill was basically actually just kicked out of the farmhouse and his bedroom was then given to Andrew while Bill was sent to sleep in the barn. Uh, three days later, Bell took Andrew to the First National Bank of Laporte, where she requested three certificates to be deposited. 
Um, when the teller told her that it would take about five days for that money to clear, Bell got a little irritated and angrily returned eight days later to get the money because, you know, she wanted to kill Andrew sooner than that. Um, after walking out of the bank with uh, roughly $3,000, which by today's rates is about $75,000, uh, Andrew was never seen again. Shocking, right? Um, meanwhile, uh, Bill Lamphere, still super jealous about all of this, quit the farm and actually just left his belongings behind. Um, Lamphere consulted with an attorney because he believed that he was missing some wages and his attorney told him to press charges, go sue for your lost wages there. Um, and knowing that Lamphere could bury the entire operation because, um, also Lamphere knew that Bell was murdering people and he was actually helping hide the bodies. Um, so Bell actually got out in front of this and she actually convinced authorities that Lamphere was insane and had him tested for like mental competence. Um, Lamphere showed up at the, at the farm, argued about everything and just like the lost wages, him having to get tested, probably a bunch of other stuff, why they weren't having sex anymore. He's like, Bell, why won't you love me anymore? I was the one who gave you everything you need. Well, Bill, you just didn't, you didn't have the right emotion for it, Bill. You didn't lay me down like the strong Norwegian man I'm used to. I don't know. That's fun. I'm still having fun. Um, in the end, Lemphere was actually arrested for trespassing. Um, back in South Dakota, where uh, Andrew was from, was, being the key word there, uh, his brother, Assel? I don't know how you say that. That's a weird Scandinavian word. It's A-S-L-E. And I feel like it's Assel, but that sounds like a swear word. Asley? As Maybe it's Asley. Who knows? Anyway, Andrew's brother became concerned when Andrew didn't return home uh, after the 10 days that he announced he would be gone. So uh, one of Asley's farmhands found the series of letters between Andrew and Bell and presented them to Asley. And when Asley wrote to Bell to kind of figure out what had happened to Andrew, Bell responded by confessing everything. You know, just Asley or whatever his last name was. I don't know. Uh, I'd killed your brother for the insurance payout. Got all his money, which you can't do nothing about because you can't make it proof that I killed him. No, actually, she didn't do that. Um, <laughs> why would she confess? Um, she actually just told Asley that Andrew had returned to South Dakota and she was waiting on him to let her know that he'd made it home. And so now she's really worried because she hadn't heard from Andrew yet. What happened to him? Did something happen? Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Lam fear he's not giving up. All right. Uh, he continued to try to tell authorities what was going on at Bell's little murder farm. And Bell just kept having Lamphere arrested for trespassing and being insane. Um, she also started telling people around town that she was beginning to fear for her life and was worried that Lamphere would kill her children, the remaining children, and burn their house down. Well, on April 27th, 1908, Bell had a will drawn up, leaving her entire estate to her children. And after leaving the lawyer's office, Bell went to the grocery store and purchased, among other things, uh, two gallons of kerosene. Not, you know, suspicious at all. Uh, the family then had a large feast that night before going to bed. Uh, in the early hours the following morning, Joe Maxson, who was uh, Lamphere's replacement, woke up to the smell of smoke. Uh, he ran through the entire house trying to wake everyone up, but the smoke was too thick for him to actually get anything out. All he could do was cough. 
Um, he was actually forced to jump from the second story of the farmhouse and then run to town to get help. Um, by the time firefighters were able to get to the house, there was nothing left but just some smoldering ruins. Just flattened it. Uh, the next day, uh, authorities found four bodies, uh, including one belonging to a woman who couldn't be identified because her entire head was missing, which is weird. Um, Bell's three children, Myrtle, Lucy, and Philip, were definitely dead. Um, everyone was looking at Bill Lamphere because Bell had basically brainwashed this entire town into thinking that Lamphere was up to something. Um, but after, especially after an eyewitness claimed to have seen Lamphere running from the house shortly before it burst into flames, that was enough for uh, police to arrest him. But investigators were really skeptical because the body of the headless woman that was recovered was not even close to belonging to Bell. Um, basically, just like the bodies, like the size of the bones would not have created a woman that would have come close to being as tall as Bell was. Well, uh, Astley, Andrew's brother, he arrived from South Dakota a few days later and began looking around the farm. Uh, Joe Maxson told the sheriff that he had kind of suspected foul play too and pointed to several depressions in the ground that had been covered by dirt. Um, so the sheriff brought in a dozen men to the farm and they began digging. And guess what, guys? They found a lot more bodies. Um, first, it was uh, Bell's daughter, Jenny. You remember Jenny from earlier who showed up to the neighbor's house with the fire poker. Um, Bell had actually claimed that Jenny had moved out to California to attend school. She didn't, obviously. Uh, they then found two other children's bodies. Then Andrew Hegeline, Helgeline, Andrew Helgeline. I can, I can only say it like that. Um, and in all, investigators found 12 total bodies around the farm. Uh, obviously, this story became national news, uh, especially as people began to believe that Bell had actually faked her own death and gotten away with all of it. Um, the Lake Erie and Western Railroad even arranged for excursions to Laporte, bringing as many as 20,000 people over the course of a few weeks to view the murder farm. Um, it actually got so ridiculous that vendors began selling lemonade, cake, and ice cream at the site where people had been gruesomely murdered. Like, can you imagine the outrage that would happen? Like, let's say, let's just say, uh, God, what was the last major shooting in this country? Um, like imagine uh, this wasn't the most recent one, but like imagine after Sandy Hook, you just there's just all of a sudden there's murder tourism and people are just going to Sandy Hook to go look at it. And you got vendors out there. Popcorn, get your popcorn here. Look at the little kids who were murdered. Look at the blood stains on the wall. I enjoy some popcorn. That's appropriate, right? Uh uh, the trial and the investigations that followed were obviously just a giant train wreck. Uh, a local prospector named Old Klondike, of course that's his name, uh, actually ended up working with Maxon to try to search for Bell's fake gold teeth to kind of try to prove that she had died in the fire. Um, eight days later, Klondike produced a dental bridge containing two human canines, um, but dentist Dr. Ira Norton and coroner Charles Mack actually took that, uh, th those teeth as evidence and concluded that the headless body did belong to Bell, despite initial investigators saying like it definitely like totally proving that it definitely wasn't it. Um, so there's more confusion there. 
Uh, even more, Lamphere was officially charged with arson and four counts of murder. Uh, his trial began on November 8th, and after 26 hours of deliberation, he was found guilty of arson. Uh, he was sentenced to 2 to 21 years in prison and fined $5,000. Uh, he died a year later of tuberculosis. But just before he died, Lamphere confessed to Reverend Edwin Shell about how Bell operated. And this is why we know a lot of this stuff. Um, basically, Bell would just welcome men into her home, drug their coffee, and then bash them over the head with the meat chopper. She would then toss her victims over her shoulder like she did with the pigs, because she's, you know, a stronghold woman, carry them down to the basement and dissect them before bundling them up and burying them around the farm, which Lamphere helped dig the holes for. Uh, she also fed some of those men to her hogs. Gross. Um, the headless woman, according to Lamphere, that was found in the remains, was a woman that Bell had hired as a housekeeper from Chicago. Uh, Lamphere said that Bell drugged her, bashed her over the head, and decapitated her before dumping the body in a nearby swamp. And that's important because I think Bell understood that the body wouldn't decompose as fast in the swamp. And on the night of the fire, Bell went and grabbed the body, dressed it in her old clothes, and removed her own false teeth to trick investigators, which totally worked, obviously. Um, she then chloroformed her own children before setting the house on fire and making her escape. Um, although authorities only ended up finding 12 bodies, Lamphere said that he believed Bell murdered as many as 42 people and had taken as much as $250,000 in cash, bonds, and insurance money from the men along the way. And that's $250,000 in like 1904 times. I don't know. That's over. It's gotta be over a million dollars in modern money. Um, Although there were numerous reports of people seeing Belle in Chicago in the year's following event, no one actually knows whatever happened to her. No one knows where she went. Um, it is, though, widely believed that she did, f like, fake her own death and killed all her kids and just disappeared. Who knows where she went? Maybe she went back to Norway. Maybe she went somewhere. Maybe she went back to Chicago. Who knows? But that is the end of the stories. a fun story right not not often we get to talk about a, a female serial killer but uh this one this one's just fun just a lot of different elements to it um the fact that we don't know what happened to her she faked her own death got away with all of it um probably lived out the rest of her life in complete luxury because you got over a million dollars well two hundred fifty thousand and in those times that's gonna that's gonna sustain you for a while maybe until the great depression but she probably had all of that in cash so she didn't have to worry about anything um yeah real fun story let's see what we learned today what did we learn number one uh bell gunnis aka peter's twig daughter <laughs> uh, was a Norwegian immigrant and she ended up running her own farm and then also killing a bunch of dudes for their insurance money. Uh, number two, she definitely most definitely, probably definitely. I think she did definitely faked her own death after killing her kids, burning her house down and disappearing uh, into the wilderness. Um, number three, uh, I 
enjoy doing the Swedish chef voice uh, and just kind of talking like that. It's fun. Uh, and look, I'm going to give you a tip. Uh, if you're ever feeling sad, you know, you got a little case of the sads, me a little sad boy, a little sad girl, um, turn on some just late 90s, early 2000s butt rock, like some Creed, maybe some uh, some Pearl Jam. I know that's early 90s. but And just do some karaoke, but as the Swedish chef. It is so much fun. Here's, 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 uh, look, I'm going to show you right now. side of me that no one expected uh to come out so uh hope you enjoyed that that's 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 just fun like whenever i'm feeling down i will just crank up some creed or some pearl jam and just go to town and just rock out and in in my swedish chef voice and you can't help but not feel better so look you know if your meds aren't working or you don't feel like drinking, give Swedish Chef a try. It's a lot of fun. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you for for all of that. Thank you for listening. Uh, next week on Our Weird World, uh, going back to uh, multiple stories here, we are going to look at some South American serial killers. Um, I cannot even begin to tell you how heinous some of these stories are going to be. Um, equally as ridiculous is the laws in South America. Um, because here's the thing. I don't think anyone in next week's stories went to prison for life for hundreds of murders, murders, murders. All right. We're going to look at the stories of Pedro Lopez, Pedro Filho, uh, Daniel Barbosa, uh, and Luis Garavito, and they are some of the most infuriating, heartbreaking, awful stories uh, that we're going to cover uh, on this show. So get ready for that. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, keep telling all your friends, uh, unless you don't want them to judge you for listening to a guy who sings Pearl Jam in Swedish chef voice. Uh, but otherwise, keep it weird. 